Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wish I had people. I feel like these fucking comics have oh, yeah. a team of assholes around them that just tell them what to do. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, like, how do they pay all these fucking people? I don't know. It's like seashells. <laughs> I, uh, I have never had an assistant, like, ever in my life. I don't, I don't even know what that I'm too cheap. And I, I don't even think it's cheap. Because I have an assistant who's wonderful and does all my travel because that requires calling Fox and or calling airlines and getting plane tickets done. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And when people say to me, hey, you're going to be on my podcast or, hey, are you available for this speaking engagement or blah, blah, blah. I, they're like, who do I talk to? I'm like, me. I, I don't want – there's no reason why I can't schedule things on my own because when I don't, then it requires more work mm-hmm. of actually going back to the person who's in the middle and having them work it out. I just do it. Oh, Either God. do it or don't. I can't – I couldn't agree with you more. The whole middleman thing drives me crazy, even with my agents and managers and those – it's like – it's like someone says this and then it's all this, this telephone game, you know, it's all he's being relayed. I'm like, yeah, uh, fuck this. Just give me the number of the person that I need to call and I will do it because it's just things get lost in translation. It takes too long. Let's just let me get this over with, you know? Yeah, I know. We're alienating more people, but that's OK. I want to tell you something uh, <laughs> that I noticed when we talked on the phone today. OK. Prior to this uh, recording session with Chelsea Handler, who you know, and I know a little bit, you certainly know way better, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited to talk to her. She's got a a new special that's out called Evolution on HBO Max, and it's (laughs) that's that's been out. Yeah, that's been out for, I think, a year plus now, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then it's not that new. It was new to me. New to you. Um, But I notice a difference in you being in Colorado from being in L.A., just just there's like a there's a vibe about you there's an easiness about you yeah. there is a way to i mean you're more present yeah. you're less and and this is based on a very small sample size <laughs> but in the years that I've known you whenever you are out there you are a happier mm-hmm. more content and i think that's a word that is important now more than ever i don't know any a lot of people that admit that they're content but 
you know, hopefully people are. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like you're just more at ease when you're out there. I, lo- I love you out there. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it definitely is a, a place, an energetic place for me where I get here and and things sort of melt away. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I just love it up here. It is peaceful. You know, it does something to my being, no doubt. Um yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, I'm still going through some my shit. You know, it's just on the. I, I, I'm I, I'm sick of myself. You know what I mean? You ever get sick of yourself? Where it's just like I'm. I'm tired. Every time I open my mouth. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just like I'm. I'm tired of talking about myself. I'm tired of you know. But at the same time, how do you think listeners feel? Well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like in preparation for Chelsea. <laughs> I'm just okay. Kidding. In in preparation for Chelsea. Like she, it's a great conversation to have with her about just medication and anxiety and, and all of it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, I, don't, I can't fucking bring this shit up anymore. You know, although it's tiring, it's tiring to me. Repetitive, and, tiring. Yeah. And it maybe it's tiring to the listeners. I don't know. But, you know, I, what the nice thing is, is the feedback has been good, I guess. You know, me exposing my insanity. Um, but getting back to where you're, what you just said, I for sure feel much more at ease here. But to go a step further, the pro, the, the issue, <laughs> here's how fucked up my brain is. The problem with that is all of a sudden when I maybe start to feel something like out of the blue, I'm like, wait a minute, why am I feeling this now? I'm in Colorado. This is my happy place. Oh no, is this not my happy place? Now am I just, oh. now is there no happy? I mean, th- this is the fucking brain that is floating around in my stupid head right now. But you either on antidepressants or off antidepressants have to know, and I know you know this, but when that voice pops up in your head, that's life. That's Life is far from easy, perfect, no matter what your circumstances, and you have to just be willing to accept that. I just am telling you a general feel I get from you is much more positive. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because L.A. makes you feel small, and Colorado makes you feel big. Yeah. But I, I feel like, you know, in L.A., you're constantly reminded of your youth and your dad's right. X number of miles away. And your sister's, like, which house do you want to meet at at Kate's for at the Pacific Palisades? And, you know, it's just, it's everything's massive. And you're living your really true yeah. life, I think, much more uh, authentic than a lot of people around you, not talking about your family, just the people you work with. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like you get out to Colorado and you get to be that way, but it just, you get to take the air in yeah. and you feel bigger. There's no doubt about yeah. it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I mean, look, I, I needed to be content wherever I am, but this is definitely a place that settles me for sure. And it's, I'm getting better and better. You know what I mean? It's it just, it comes in waves and, and it's just frustrating and I'm, I'm sick of myself. But yeah, one of, one of Michelle's friends is like, yeah, I, I love Oliver. Oliver's so funny. He's so true to himself. Just sometimes he comes off like a little bitch. <laughs> Did like, she yeah. say that? Yeah. Did she really? I'll point her out. I'll send you a picture of who sent that, who said that to her. That is my wife. My wife, who loves you more than she loves me, is like, was defending you. And she's like, no, no, you're, you're not. I listen to every episode, beginning to end. I love it. Oliver makes me laugh. It just sometimes he comes off like a little whiny bitch. That I, is like, I, yeah. So I mean, I'm sure funny. I do too. Uh, hey, I'll take so it. So, Fatima, if you're out there listening to this, you've you've been outed. Yeah, 
your name is now mud. That's right. That's right. This little bitch is going to come after you and show you (laughs) just what a little bitch I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was Father's Day. We haven't even talked about this. It was Sunday. It was Father's Day. And um, it was great. It was great. I had a great Father's Day with the kids. And then I got I got a note from my dad that was really interesting, you know, just about... How, well, this is huge. Well, I mean, how happy what? he what? was, how happy he is that Kurt came into my life and, oh my you God. know, how he wasn't there as a dad and he thinks about it every day. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. Didn't you, was there any part of you that wanted to get into your truck and just drive straight to Malibu and give him a hug or take him to lunch or yeah, no, have a I, beer it was, with him? You know, I just said, thank you for saying that, you know, and, uh. Let's try to get together because we've been trying to get together. It just never fucking works between the two of us. I mean, it just never works. Right. But no, it was, it was it was good. That's huge. Yeah. For everything we've ever talked about on this podcast for a year, mm-hmm. more than a year. Yeah. That, that's the biggest statement you've made, that your dad reached out to you yeah. on Father's Day. Yeah. I just want to repeat this and see if I got this right. And said he, you know, not only happy Father's Day, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm sorry. Yep. And I'm so glad that Kurt, who was I, I'm sure a source of real frustration for your dad mm-hmm. with with who he was and is mm-hmm. and what he meant to your mom and now he's basically raising his kids, that he's admitting to you that he's happy that Kurt came into your life. And and that that's beautiful, and I would imagine imagine very heartwarming. Yeah, no, it was I, and, it was and it makes was, a huge impact on you. It was great. I mean, it was it was really. Uh, it's just it's on its way. You know what I mean? Now when I get back savor to LA, that. we savor just, that. Yeah, we just need to like actually get together. But but it, it's funny you just said something that that is interesting, and um, that again when feeling compassion for my dad, even though it's not justified that he didn't do anything that he could, anything and everything that he could to be in our lives. But when you have Kurt Russell come in as a stepdad, I mean, that's going to be fucking Man. pretty intimidating. This like badass actor who's real, a manly yeah. man who's taking me on ATVs and motorcycles and hunting. And, and, you know, it's just like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't imagine putting myself in those shoes and, Aaron and I have a falling out, and my kid's stepfather is this fucking badass dude. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! And right? Yeah, the guy that plays Aquaman, whatever the hell his name is. Oh, he comes in this big stud. <laughs> right. You know, he Jason looks amazing Momoa. in a bathing suit, long. Flo- yeah, Momoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, that that's that's a big part of this, I would imagine. And I, I wonder if you've ever talked about that with your dad, or mm-hmm. you know what that's like, because. Just on a man-to-man level, just kind of the almost, I'm sure, animalistic, go back to caveman yeah, times. Primal. It was like, whose dick is bigger and who's stronger? Yeah. That, that's basically how it comes down. Yeah. It comes down to that for men and for a guy like your dad, who was a tremendous entertainer in his own right yeah. and, and famous and, and you know all of it. But now it's Kurt Russell, who's like Hollywood's A-plus leading man, like the Marlboro man came off the uh, <laughs> billboard and now is raising your son. Yeah. I, that, that's got to be an extra blow. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that in our first breakfast we had, you know, um, 
it wasn't about his intimidation, but it was more of like, you know, Kurt came into your life and you guys were off and doing a bunch of things and you were on private planes and you were going to Colorado and you were sort of traveling around and going to the different sets and locations. And, and I was there sort of, he didn't say this, but sort of left with his dick in his hand. And, and there was a part of me that understood that. Now, again, yeah. you fight, right? You do whatever you could. I saw Kurt do that for Boston, my step, my step, uh, um, step sibling, a stepbrother. I saw him go to bat, man. He, he would not let it go, you know, because that's part of who he is. So I've seen both sides of it. But I understand. I, I, I get where my dad sort of was in that moment. And by the way, he had his own family at the time and, and I guess just made the decision to focus on, on that family, you know. But yeah, he married Shirley for God's <clears> sake. Married Shirley. That's right. But for Laverne me, if I, it was Shirley. a good Father's Day, you know, just we grilled and then I played golf and then just watching the kids sort of, you know, it's weird. They're 13, 11, and 7. They're all older now. They feel like they're, they don't play like kids anymore. They've got their own shit. But it was this sort of throwback where the sun was setting. I had just grilled. We're drinking wine out on the deck. And the kids are playing with the dogs as if they're like, you know, 5, 3, and 2 again you know with each other wilder's picking up rio which she hasn't done in a million years and swinging her around it it was like this throwback in time and of course in my fucking little bitch according to your friend emotional state i was like you know holding back tears and and uh well that's good good. i at least you're again i go back to what Justin Baldoni said, and I'd never heard it. I guess it's just a cliche and a common used phrase, but raising kids is really the only time where, I don't know what the exact line was, where the nostalgia or the good old days or whatever are happening right now. Mm -hmm. And you, you need to appreciate what's happening. And you, in that moment, appreciated what was going on with your kids and seeing them play with each other in a way that they did when they were little yeah. and will become fewer and far between those times where they're everybody but that's what colorado does for you guys it yeah. just it like pulls the plug out of the wall yeah. and then you guys are just kind of you're mountain men and mountain women yeah. and you know you would be good you'd be you should do naked and afraid you like to be <laughs> naked it seems like according to michelle's friend fatima you're afraid a lot and you could you could probably start a fire from two pieces of wood and uh you could probably get by for <laughs> That's your PSR rating would be like a four going in, and you come out with like a seven point two. That's fucking hysterical. I should just do naked and anxious instead of afraid. <laughs> naked and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just nude in some wilderness, just not doing a thing, just sitting there, being like, I just don't feel good, man. Like I just don't. I can't. I'm coming off Lexapro. I, I forgot I, to bring. I can't be content. I'm no place. There's no place of contentment for me, man. I don't know. I can't breathe. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, spiders are crawling on your head, and you don't even realize it. Storms are rolling through. That'd be good. That'd be fun. That's like an SNL skit. I like, like it, your dude. own little. You're, you're, you have a production company. Yeah, naked Do and that. anxious. <laughs> I, it's funny, Joe. Will you produce ah, it with that's me? good. You guys, I'm here. It's me. I'm coming. Hold on one second. I'm just okay. like, everything in. One second. Oh, that's, I got we're it. All good. Yeah, we're all good. This is how we do it. Oh, you can't Yo. see me. Oh, you can't see me. Oh. Oh, my God. Look. 
Yeah, girl. Are oh, you wearing it? Oh, that's so nice. What is that? I can't see it. Very that's mom's well. oh, mind up the t-shirt. Love. Mind up. That's your mom's thing. God, I love you, Chelsea. I haven't seen you in so, 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 so long. You guys, I had an electrical fire at my rental house last night, so I'm staying at, at the Fairmont right now in Santa Monica. Oh, what? In the middle of the night this happened? It happened after I took a Xanax. That's all I remember. <laughs> it's fine. You know, that happened to my mom. She had an electrical fire that happened above the light to her front door. It, it, this was after my dad died. She's living alone. I don't know what she takes to sleep. It's some cocktail of Xanax, comma, Ambien. Rohypnol. She's a big fan of that. And she was awakened by the firefighters bashing her door in and it was so, the fire was so bad that it, the backdraft of it knocked one of the firefighters all the way across her driveway i mean she was lucky to get out alive so oh that my god seriously yeah, yeah she was 70 about that time and uh yeah so we can, I, I drove over there and her house is just engulfed in flames and she's sitting there with a fireman like uh oh wow, my this gosh mm-hmm. so there I- you go yeah, no, mine wasn't serious like that. I came home from a dinner and I had it sober, actually, because I wasn't drinking yesterday. So that was already unusual. But we couldn't open the gate to my rental did not open. So my girlfriend and I had to scale the fence mm-hmm. and the gate. And then we got in and she's like, I don't know if you should be here without any power. Like, you don't seem self-sufficient enough, which is also true. And I thought, mm, I can make it until the morning. And so I was lying in my bed with my dogs, you know, kind of molesting my dogs as I do right before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. Uh And then I heard a big electrical spark go out in front of my bedroom, off of my bedroom window. And I was like, this isn't, that's not right. If you like conversations with hilarious comedians like today's episode with Chelsea Handler, go check out our episode of Daddy Issues with Taylor Tomlinson, where we discuss everything from her devout upbringing to stand-up comedy to self-worth, stage fright, and so much more. How about your father? You know, what, what are you, you're, you? You know, you had a dad, right? I mean, was it was it all gravy? I had a dad. I had a dad um, made entirely of gravy. Um, <laughs> was fantastic he never did anything wrong ever um why i'm a stand-up comedian Uh, perfect parent don't go anywhere we'll be back after this short break with more from today's guest chelsea handler where are you right are you in you're in la yeah, I live in Bel Air. So well, you, my rental house is in, is in Bel Air. Wait a yeah. minute. Okay, so you sold your you sold your house. I sold my house and I just bought a new house. You did. actually, but you yeah. were, you were living in Whistler. Is this correct? I was. You're I so. Was. I have a, I have a place in Whistler too. So why did you decide to do that? Just to get the fuck out? Um, COVID was getting really gross in LA. Remember, yeah. like around December, things really peaked here. And I was getting depressed Mm -hmm. and I was also I bought the house before the election because I was scared Trump might win again. And I was like, I can't deal with four more years of this. I'm just going to go to Canada. You were going to be the one that actually made good on the threat to move to a foreign country, be it Canada or somewhere else. Yeah, I bought a house on FaceTime in Canada (laughs) to get away from Donald Trump. So I was very serious. (laughs) My God. Well, and then, uh, it, it is funny when you say that, Chelsea, because it, it, 
it's it's interesting how the mind works and how quickly we forget. It wasn't that long ago that we were in the throes of this thing. And and now, I mean, I know you're in L.A. It's a little different. I live in St. Louis. Right now I'm in Mexico. And it, St. Louis was basically wide open, uh, comparatively speaking. But it, our lives were, were all changed so dramatically. And now, even though it's not that long ago, it's almost hard to put yourself back in that frame of mind where you were worrying about the next you know the next wave and all of these stats that you're being just overwhelmed with on on television where every day was just a depressing start to the day and now you're you're stuck at home anyway and now i i feel like we're kind of okay now we're back to normal at least i feel that way yeah it's nice i mean you don't really have to i'm staying at a hotel they're like you know i go you know i had a mask on they're like just so you know masks masks are optional and you're like oh really and you're it's like oh god you know it's so weird how quickly you can adapt to a certain set of circumstances and then, you know, readapt to the normal circumstances. I thought it would be a little bit more slow rolling getting back into the swing of things, but I guess people are balls out. People are ready to fucking mingle. That's what the bottom line is. <clears throat> They're vaccinated yeah. and horny, huh? They're vaccinated and horny, and you know what? Who isn't? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, is that your experience? I mean, I, I'm married with twin three-year-old Oliver's hiding out in Aspen, uh, naked and anxious with his kids, and you're, I assume, out there still doing your thing. Is, is naked is and afraid? Pretty, you're naked, naked and, and afraid, afraid with an Oliver. Yeah. Well, with Oliver, there's always a lot of nudity mm-hmm. and fear. Always. Yeah. Well, we we're just talking about it because, again, I, I knew we would I'd get into this. But I've talked about this on this fucking podcast a thousand times. But I went off my Lexapro, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through these sort of anxious depression withdrawal shit that is driving me crazy. And, uh, you know, it's just fighting through the bullshit of all of it. You know, so that's where Naked and Anxious came up. Because I'm just waking up with this generalized fucking anxiety, not understanding why it's here. You know, and then just meditating and fighting through the day. You know, it's just... Yeah. Really, it's really. I can't say that I, I've had. You know, I don't. I can't say I suffer from anxiety or depression in the sense that you do, Ollie. But I can't even fucking imagine what it is like to have to f- combat that every day. Because the times that I have felt anxious or depressed were not pleasant experiences. But you know what? Once you get a toolkit for how to deal with your situation, I mean, that's a valuable thing to have, right? Yeah. Whatever your circumstances are. You know, it's good to know how to operate and how to make yourself more, um, you know, kind of even. Yeah, no, I know. Well, like, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, I've been in therapy for a thousand years. Like you found your Dan, right? I I was actually Oliver's first therapist. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) That's right. No, I I didn't know that. I mean, other than his mom and his sister who are two bit psychoanalysts as well. I've been analyzed by both Kate and Goldie. Right. I didn't like their diagnosis, <laughs> by the way. But uh, yeah, I, I, Oliver will 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 take advice or share and overshare with really anybody that he comes oh, yeah. across. Anybody who will listen, really. Basically, anybody with one with one, I was going to say a set of ears, but you really only need one ear, mm-hmm. and then Oliver is willing to talk to you. Are you still seeing Doctor Dan? I don't see Doctor Dan like on the regular anymore because I kind of did like a real. Intensive. concentrated yeah. amount of time with him. Yeah. So I don't talk to him anymore. I did set him up with my sister recently because my sister was dealing with some stuff with her children and she did not like Dr. Dan. Oh, really? <laughs> she was like, what the fuck kind of advice is that? <laughs> I mean, she went off on me. I'm like, don't worry. 
I'm like, okay, sorry. Just pretend you didn't have that conversation with him. I was trying to help like yeah. her facilitate her, you know, with this situation and how to talk to her daughter about this issue, but it, it totally backfired. And when she told me what he said, I was like, yeah, yeah, don't listen to that. I go, let's pretend that conversation never happened. <laughs> well, I well watched- I mean, isn't that kind of part of the pro- part of the process? I would imagine there are psychologists and psychiatrists who are prescribing medicine who just uh, not Dr. Dan who I don't know do you even know who that is but but there have to be people out there just by kind of the laws of natural selection some are really great and there have to be a whole sect of psychologists and psychiatrists who are just not good and and who knows what they're telling people and who knows what they're prescribing and who knows you know just cuz somebody has a shingle outside their door doesn't mean that they're good at what they do i mean they're good pilots they're bad pilots that scares the shit out of me every time i get on an airplane too (laughs) yeah i hear what you're saying i mean dr dan's great he's great and he helped me a lot but yeah it's it's it's, it has to be the right match for everybody and also my sister's not like into therapy you know what i mean so there's always that resistance with someone who's just like i don't want to have those kinds of conversation with those kinds of words and i know and uh you know what I mean? Yeah, there's resistance there. But, you know, I watched your special again, Evolution, uh, last night. Oh, and uh, my biggest fan. You are. You are. I did. I, I really love it. I mean, it's just, um, I know this is, it was, it was out, uh, what, I wanted to come out a year plus ago. But it was, it's just, it's just so fucking great because it's just raw and real. And when you get to the part where Dan hands you the orange and that's when everything sort of comes into focus you know, that sort of catharsis, that epiphany, you know, that really seemed to change, not the trajectory, but at least gave you some insight into who you are and why you are the way that you are it was just so beautiful. And of course, in my highly sensitive state, I'm crying and Aaron's there with me and crying. We've talked about your brother, you know, and how you sort of, I guess, pushed that down and it all came up. But what actually I want to get into well, your- you have on other podcasts, but for people who are listening to our podcast for the first time, maybe <laughs> oh, you yeah, might sorry. give a little bit of a history lesson <laughs> just so we can't assume that everybody listens to sibling revelry. <laughs> so just maybe you could go back over that. You want me to go over it? No, I, Oliver. I mean, no, well, you well, lost your brother. Your brother passed no, away brother when you passed, were what, nine brother years passed old. Away. Oh, uh, the synopsis of what he's talking well, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But then, but then I wanted right. to get, I wanted to get into the part where your dad and how he handled that, and getting even back into your childhood a little bit because it is daddy issues, and sort of that moment when you jumped off of the fucking dock and he's walking back into the house. That devastated me. And even moving on from that moment forward, how did that affect your relationship with you and and your father? You know, so I, that's where I wanted to get to from the story. Right, right, <laughs> okay. right, right, right. right. But you have to tell the story. So she lost her brother passed away when when you were nine, correct? Somewhere in that yes, eight nine years. Yes, old? yes. And and then your dad basically shut down. Is that fair to say? I'm not going to put those words. My in your dad mouth. basically was yes. He took you know it was his firstborn son being you know stolen from him in his mind, and he needed to blame someone. So he blamed first the park rangers. My brother fell off a cliff. He was hiking in the Grand Tetons, and he was with two friends, his best friend from high school. So we got a call that my brother had fallen and he was dead. And, you know, uh, my dad spoke to the, I think the police had come to my parents' house. We were at our summer house. Our whole family was up in Martha's Vineyard. And my dad was alone at our house in New Jersey. 
And um, after that, yeah, he really wanted, you know, to lay blame. And now that I've read so much about death and families and what it is, you know, that is the culpability is it. Like so 90% of marriages break up after there is a child child's death because no one can accept the loss and they want to blame each other. And eventually they do. So my brother, my father went down a road of blame, blame, blame. He ended up suing my brother's best friend from high school who he went hiking with. He sued him for negligence because it was his fault somehow that my brother had died because they weren't keeping a close, you know, close tabs on him. He just kind of was that kind of guy, you know, a blame, 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 blame. And also, uh, I can't really understand the kind of pain that a parent must feel mm-hmm. when they lose a child. I can only imagine it, you know? So I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for him because I was so young that I only didn't understand why no one cared about me losing mm-hmm. my brother. I had five brothers sure. and sisters also. And so we all kind of retreated to our own corners of wherever we were in the world. A lot of them were in college and we kind of repaired ourselves alone without the tools. You know, we didn't have the tools. It's not like it is now. Our family wasn't going to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like even on the, you know, on the table. My dad shut down and just kind of became this angry, angry, sad man who had lost his boy. You know, that was his narrative. That became his narrative. Like he was a victim mm-hmm. instead of. My mom was different. My mom was able to understand that there could be pain and joy, you know, at the same time that you could be grieving, but that there was still life left in our family and in our household. And she infused it with a lot of love and softness and kindness. So where my dad was really shut down, my mom was a lot more open and like to talk about my brother, you know, she was more, she was religious, that kind of thing. Um, what was your dad like before so, the accident, though? I mean, was he a different man entirely, especially with yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was great, Darius. You know, he was always kind of an asshole, loud, loud, like a shyster a little bit, yeah. like a used car dealer. Yeah. I mean, he was a used car dealer, so he's exactly like a used car dealer. <laughs> right. um, you know, he would, we would hear him like wheeling and dealing on the phone being like, okay, $3,500 for this car, you know? I mean, like he was just so embarrassing, but he had a lot of character and a lot of fun. And our household was fun, just like, you know, mm-hmm. your household is has all of that, Ollie, which is why I always feel so connected to the Hudson's, because it's just craziness. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That's my like, you know, sweet spot. I love family chaos. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of that. So there was a lot of love and a lot of laughter. But that loss was deep. And, you know, I think if we had been better equipped a little bit, my parents, maybe I think we could have all come out of it. With a little bit of a different, um, you know, energy and a, and and a let of, in, in, instead of such a deficit, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're at such a loss. Like now, now you pick, people are able to deal with things in such a more healthy way to actually sit through your grieving instead of, you know, put it off for forty years and then it come and hits, you know, comes and taps you on the shoulder and you're like, oh fuck, I'm still upset about my brother dying when I was nine. Like I thought I was over that. What are you talking about? It's like, well, not really because you were nine. So you mm. never really dealt with it. Yeah. And did, did, but did that relationship between you and your father at nine years old change after that? And you still have so much further to go before you're 18 and out of the fucking house. And you need, you know, that father figure, that man in your life, I guess. And did yeah, that just disappear right. for you? No, you know, he was a father for sure. Like the, the, you know, the, the strong kind of yes, no, you went to him. Mm -hmm. If he was upset, the whole house was upset. If he was in a bad mood, everyone was quiet. 
kind of that kind of energy. And I rebelled, you know, after I was nine, like once I got all this negative attention for my brother dying, I did not like that mm. from my schoolmates and classmates. I didn't like that. I wanted attention for being funny and for being, you know, crazy and saying the thing that nobody would say. And all of a sudden the, t- the attention turned to what felt like pity And I didn't respond well to that. Like I just immediately was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have people feel sorry for me. So then I became in denial about my brother. Like I didn't want anyone to talk about it. And so my relationship with my dad, I just, I think I got so mad at him for neglecting us and neglecting me because before my brother died, I was the apple of his eye Mm -hmm. and I was the center of our entire family's universe. Like I was the wild one and everyone loved me and like, let Chelsea go do her thing. And after that, my dad just wasn't interested in me in the same way. And so I just, we just butted heads. And then I became really, really old, really quick. Mm. You know, like I was 12 and I was going into the city and doing drugs and to going to the limelight, maybe not 12, but I was amping my way up to that. By the time I was 16, I definitely was. Mm -hmm. And I had no respect for him. I just would not listen to anything he said. I told him I hated him. I didn't want anything to do with him. You know, and any clinical psychologist had our family gone would have been able to piece it all together and say, hey, Mm. this is what happened. This girl needs attention and love from her dad or, you know, however simple it and fundamental it is. Uh, But we didn't. And, you know, you survive. That's the craziest thing. We all survive all this shit with or without the help. It's mm-hmm. just like how great are you doing at being a human being is the real question. Was there a shift? But, but to go back to what Oliver said mm-hmm. and that, that story, which kind of when you were younger, it, it brings it all into sharp focus where you're not allowed to swim by yourself. You're jumping off the dock. Your dad's up, you know, potentially you're, you're basically jumping off the dock to have him run down and jump in and, and get and in with you and, and save you and you turn around, you look back up and he's walking into the house. And then, so then there are other examples of trying to get his attention. I mean, that, that's what the, the kind of wild stuff was and saying, you know, fuck you, dad. You, okay. You don't want to pay attention to me. Let me try this. Let me try this. Yeah. Let me be yeah, this kind of girl. Re- yeah. You're going to regret it then. Like I'm going to hurt myself or I'm going to get in trouble and then you're going to have to pay attention. And this is your fault. And I was terrible at school. I had no respect for authority. You know, if I didn't like a teacher, I'd just get up and tell them what an idiot they were in front of everybody and then walk out. Like, I don't know. You know, I did whatever the fuck I wanted whenever I wanted. I had no regard. My dad would be, I was sneaking off with, to meet a boyfriend when I was like 14 years old, like jumping off of my roof in New Jersey, Livingston, New Jersey. And my dad once caught me and I was just like, I mean, I caught me jumping off and he goes, where do you think you're going? I'm like, I'm going out. You have no control over anything I do. You should have just walked out of the front door. I know. After that, I started to. <laughs> let me let me ask you a question, though. But you were always sort of a wild girl. But did this exacerbate that? You know what I mean? Like, were you – this is sort of looking in back, you know, in the, looking back and in, in creating a different scenario. But if your brother hadn't passed away, do you think you would be the woman that you are today? No, I mean, I, you know, who knows? I, I, we, it's an interesting question. Because you, you, because you are talented goes without saying, but like you're successful and you've made money and, and this is who you are. You're as authentic as they come, honestly, and you're brash and you don't give a fuck. And this is, uh, could you attribute that almost to sort of this tragedy in your life? Is that the silver lining? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, Oliver, if you would let me answer the question, I will. Well, hold on, let me just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, we're adapting my old, my most recent book, which is called "Life Will Be the Death of Me," which is based, which is how I came up with my stand-up, my evolution, which is, uh, you know, my HBO Max, my most recent stand-up special. We're making this into a TV show with me starring in it, playing myself. And this is the question, the thesis statement. It's like, who would I be if my brother didn't die? And is my life and my chaos and my success all a direct reaction to losing my brother and wanting a place in the world where people won't be able to abandon or forget me or... You know, who would you be if these things didn't happen to you? Or who would you be if the most important incident in your life didn't happen? Would I have felt the need to to want so much attention? Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're turning that into, when you say a TV show, does that mean like a scripted kind of yeah, a TV show? Yeah, we have a deal at Universal. I have a production company at Universal. So uh, they bought the rights to the book and we're developing it with a writer. Yeah, it's really, and it's deep, you know, that. not like a sitcom. Like it's a deep kind of like, it's a deep kind of story about like, you know, how do we become the way we do and how do we, how do we dismantle, you know, it? Because my life went so fast, so quick for so many years that only did I have the ability to stop that. Only I, nobody ever says, yo, you, you know, none of your agents are going to be like, you're working too much or mm -hmm. your managers or your publicists. Only you have the control to go, what am I doing here? Like, what, what is this? Is this what my life is meaning? Like, I'm going to be just making fun of other people my whole life and getting paid for it. Like, you know, you get to a point where you've had enough of yourself mm -hmm. and you go, Okay, I got something other. I got some other stuff here, and I need to cultivate it. That's so great. I mean, uh, uh, to personalize that, I'm sort of in that weird spot myself right now, where I've done all these weird television shows. I've made a good living. You know, I had this sitcom that I was counting the chickens. It was a ton of money. It was supposed to go. My son was in the show with me. It was a fucking perfect scenario. It didn't happen, and then boom, I just get crushed by it. And now I'm 45 years old, questioning the second half what am i what am i fucking doing you know what i mean what i have more to give i, I don't i'm trying to figure out what the fuck that is you know it's just that constant right, quest right right i hear what you're saying and you've always felt this way ollie that's what's so charming about you is that you're always kind of going through some sort of emotional turmoil. <laughs> That's why I love him. I know. He makes I me mean, feel better about myself. Ollie, right? I, I, love I love him. I love him like a brother. He makes me feel better about myself <laughs> because I just compare, you know, his sadness. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm and not it, that sad. I know. I'm just kidding. No, and I love sadness. Aaron more than I love him. It's not sadness. I think you... I would describe it more as like a, you're a, you have a yearning to want to get to know yourself better. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, but I'm on a side. You're going to have to get off your ass and write your script. You're going to have to get off your ass and, and make. So I feel like, Chelsea, you are, you know, like you just said, nobody's going to nobody in your camp is going to say, oh, you're working too much. But but I feel like, you know, if, if you if you stop, you feel like you're and I don't know you that well and don't know you at all. But I feel like you're you're constantly going. I, I feel like you're always trying to reinvent and that's to your credit because a lot of people you know they achieve a level of, of success and that that fire goes out i feel like your fire burns even bigger well i appreciate you saying that but i i, I honestly 
I feel conflicted in that. I feel sometimes like I don't have the motivation or the ambition that I had when I was younger. You know, I, I love to work, but I also value my alone time. Like, you know, when I went to Whistler skiing for three months, like that was the best time of my life. Being there without my friends, without my family, no one could get through because of the borders. I was alone. So I was forced to be like, you know, to make friends as an adult and to be like a local yokel and a villager and this ski bunny for like three and a half months. And it was the happiest time I've ever had because it had nothing to do with work. It had everything. I mean, I worked and I did my Zooms and all the shit that I have to do, but you know, it wasn't a creative time specifically. It was an outlet. And for me, I've come to value that much more than I have come to value. I, I value my work, but I, what I wasn't happy about and what I still am working on is my relationship to what, you know, to what, what my relationship to my career is, because I don't have a family. I'm not married. That isn't my first priority. I have my own family that I grew up with and I have my, you know, friends and stuff. But like, you know, when you identify with work and everyone knows you from TV to leave that is an identity crisis in a way, because you have to understand that people are going to look at you in a different way. And what is your relationship to your fame? Is that all of you? Mm -hmm. Like, is that it? <laughs> Can't be. Mm -hmm. Can't be that that's what I'm after to be famous. You know, that's what I was after when I was young. Okay, got it. Now, what are you going to do with that responsibility? And also how unhealthy are you willing to be about with your relationship to the fame? Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like, and I don't want this to be, I, I hope this is not an insult because it's meant as a compliment. I feel like you've transitioned a bit from comic, like in your face comic, to almost like an activist. You know, somebody who has taken stock of what's around her, your young life, um, you know, where we are in American culture these days and, and how things are changing rapidly and trying to identify where you fit in all this, uh, do you see yourself that way? I, I don't feel like you're you've you've transitioned into more more kind of more of a heavier uh, thinking person. If, if yeah, that's I fair. mean, I think it's an evolution. You know, like it, it always is an evolution. You know, I just announced my new. Like I think you know when you go heavy in one direction, you also like I was like oh you know what once I did so much activism and was so focused while Trump was in office and I was trying to get, you know, women and people of color elected and realizing that I have to do a, a lot more on the social justice and racial justice side than I had been doing. I thought I had been doing enough. And I was like, Oh no, no, you needed to be doing more. You know, you do want, you do realize, Oh, people are okay. Now I'm getting very serious. These are very serious topics. Like I just announced my new stand-up tour vaccinated and horny because I need to fucking laugh. I need to be on stage making people laugh in order for me to enjoy this. You know what I mean? I Because there's only so much seriousness that you can take without the levity. So I think it's a really, it's, an, it's a delicate balance and something that I've always kind of toyed with. You know, when I do something, I go really hard. But I was like, you know what? Nothing would give me more pleasure right now than being out with people who are dying to be out. Mm -hmm. You know, being the reason that people decide to go to a concert for the first time or being the reason that people are going to the Santa Barbara Bowl for the first time. You know, I'm playing that August 21st, which is so fucking psyched. I'm so psyched about, and I'm so psyched that I'm the reason to be bringing people together. So while I appreciate and I get what you're saying, yeah, there's a definite heavier, 
heaviness to me and a seriousness to me that probably wasn't on display before. At the same time, you do have to compensate it with the stuff that people know about you and the reason you became successful in the first place. So is that is this tour going to be more light in that sense? Or are you going to touch on, are you touching on sort of topical, you know, more current I mean, shit? it's going to be a lot of stuff. It's going to be light and heavy and mm-hmm. it's going to be all of the things, you know, all the things that are happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be all the, you know, I have a lot of stuff from COVID, you know, a lot of experiences that I had that I can't wait to share. You know, I had those testing kits in my backyard. Uh, I mean, those testing kits, those COVID testing kits at my house. So when I was after like three months, I was like, I'm going to have to get penetrated at some point by somebody. (laughs) So I had guys come over to my backyard where I would interview them and then give them the COVID test. And then within 20 to 30 minutes, if they said anything annoying or something like, I don't know that masks work, I could easily just go inside, get the test, come back out and tell them that they're positive. <laughs> That's amazing. That, that, that is, that is so next level. And, and, and I guess to be expected, what's the deal with the older men with you? Why, why are you, is that daddy issues too? Or what's, Probably. What? Probably. But, you know, now that I'm getting older, I mean, the ages are skewing a little Mm -hmm. bit younger. Like, I mean, I'm 46 now. So it's like 66 year old guys. Like I'm not dating a 66 year old guy. I'll date a 66 year old guy when I'm 60, but not now. So right uh, right now I'm skewing a little bit younger. So I'm going to keep it within the 10 year range of where I'm at. (laughs) You've been the evolution has been obvious and apparent, right? You know, watching that special. You know, do, is there ever? Do you think there's an evolution in sort of where you are in your love life and what you want out of a love life? Forget kids. I'm just talking about a partner. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just so so independent. Like I don't. I have a very. I don't want anyone to spend the night. I don't want to smell any new smells mm-hmm. in the morning. You know, like I need to be in love with a man in order to let them in, and that is going to be a slow process. And I have to be very honest, like I've resigned myself to the idea that there's always going to be flings and guys and stuff like that. But I don't I'm not a goo goo gaga girl. Mm -hmm. Like I don't go crazy about somebody. I mean, I have I have definitely. But I don't think of it in that way. Like I'm I'm not I'm not Oh, I'm so horny for no reason. Mm -hmm. It's like it's usually a person that I become attracted to Mm -hmm. that brings it that side out of me. It's not like the act and art of dating is something that I like to exercise unless there's someone specific involved. Right. So no ro- no romantic stuff. Like you're not into the romantic. Does anything fall into that category for you? Like you're not into a guy, I'm sure, bringing you flowers. You could give two shits. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I would assume. Yeah. No, you don't, don't need all that, that stuff. stuff. No, I would just like somebody who's got a great sense of humor, a hot body, and likes to have a lot of sex. You know, that's all I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Having a lot of fun. Somebody who can, you know, handle his alcohol, who's not an idiot. Um, <laughs> things like that are important to me. What about, Don't get mad at me about this, but like, what about love? And, and like, this sounds like such a corny fucking psychology question, but like, who loves you the most? You know, where do you get your love don't from? Don't say your dog. Please. I'm just saying, like oh, my dogs don't respect me at all. My, dogs, okay. my <laughs> housekeeper, my bell is, is if, when my bell enters the house, my dogs act like I am a slutty au pair that came by for the weekend. I have, <laughs> I mean, I have to get new dogs. I'm, I'm, I don't know. My dogs 
do not give a shit about me. So I would never say they love me the most. My housekeeper already came to pick them up this morning from the hotel because she was like, they don't want to be alone with you in that small room. I'll get them. I'm like, (laughs) anyway, um, um, who loves me? My family loves me, my friends. I have really, really close girlfriends. And and yeah, I feel very loved. I do. I feel that. I feel that all the time. Every morning I wake up, I'm like, thank God for the love I feel. You know, I say that every single day. I don't really believe in God, but whoever's in charge, something's going on. Someone's in charge of something. Mm -hmm. And I just am grateful that I have this opportunity, you know, to A, have the freedom. You know, the freedom is is what it is. And, you know, as a white person to even use that word is, is, is tricky. So I want to talk about like financial independence. And, and, and I mean, the freedom of that, uh, is, is so important to me because I grew up and saw my mom so dependent on my father. Mm. And I just was like, no fucking way is that going to be me. So I think that also was an element to produce, my kind of work ethic and my kind of hustle because I just never wanted somebody telling me that I couldn't have like a Diet Coke out of the mini fridge in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just <laughs> wasn't going to be down with that. <laughs> well, they are expensive. I mean, they are inordinately expensive in a mini bar. So it's, it's at least it's fiscally responsible. Right. Um, but so you've never, have you ever had that like elf moment of I'm in love and I can't, I don't care who knows. And I'll, have you ever like spun yeah. around with your hand like Mary yeah. Tyler Moore throwing her hat in the air? Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, I have. I've been in love like two, three times, big loves, like where I was in love and thought about getting married. Yeah, I never did because I just don't think I'm cut out for the marriage thing. I might do it later in life, you know, because at that point, you know, the mistake isn't that big of one. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I would definitely be open to trying it. And I listen, I love fucking men. You know what I mean? Not the act of fucking them, Mm. but I love guys. Like I love being in that vibe and that feeling and being excited to see somebody and wanting to hang out with somebody and being able to be quiet with somebody. Uh, It's just, I haven't found that, you know, it hasn't approached me. I'm not that approachable. I don't think for men, I don't think a lot of men are into the kind of girl that I am, you know, it's not that welcoming. Probably it's probably a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. There's an intimidation factor. I would imagine by, for most men. And, and then you're, you know, you keep cutting the pie more and more where it's like, okay, who's available. How many of those people can handle me? How many of those people really yeah, want to put but up with? Like, you're so, you can be soft. Like I can imagine just cuddling with Chelsea in bed, like, you know, watching mm-hmm. a movie, just her, just, you know. But then she'd tell you to leave. Nah, I'll stay. That's because Ali and I have cuddled in bed and watched a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll stay. okay. Well, that's not fair. You're, you're not, you're not <laughs> with, projecting with, or fantasizing. With Kurt. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine what you could get for that in the live Ali, auction? what, did you not make the cut for the vacation this year? What happened? No, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be in Colorado. Honestly, you know, everyone went to Greece. I wanted to be in Colorado. So it was just right. too hectic. It was just too hectic. So I, I, I came here. This is my happy place, you know? I know. I love it there, oh, too. Oh, it's so fucking great. If you're enjoying this episode of Daddy Issues, don't keep it to yourself. Share the love. Tell a friend about Daddy Issues and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with Chelsea Handler coming up right after this short break. Can I ask the annoying question about uh, the whole cancel culture thing and just where you, you know, how, how you wrestle with that at night? I feel like, to me, you've been so just yourself for so long, like you're almost grandfathered in of like, well, yeah, of course Chelsea said that back then. I mean, she says that kind of stuff. Nobody, you're, you're so authentic, as Oliver said earlier. I, I feel like you're... I don't think you would apologize for stuff you said before. Maybe I'm wrong, but but do you look back and go, "Oh man, I hope they don't somebody doesn't find that set I did back in 1991." Uh, you know, is is there any of that? Do you worry about that as a as a comic? I think that you first of all you have to be willing to apologize for anything that you've done, you know. This is a different time and we're all learning exactly that like, you know, what things we think are funny aren't funny to everybody. The words that we thought were funny aren't funny to everybody. They're hurtful and they're painful. And with the recognition of that comes a lot more clarity about what's acceptable and what's not. So I think we're on a learning curve that's completely necessary and forces people to be a little bit more clever with, you know, what they're talking about and who they're going after. You know, uh, right now, you know, the me- on the menu is white white guys. So that's easy to fucking make fun of. You know what I mean? It changes over all the all, all the time, but you you have to be willing to look at your past behavior and know that it wasn't ideal or great or that it was hurtful or you know and and just because everybody knows that I you know talk my talk doesn't mean I'm I'm in you know that I, I'm I'm excluded from that club that you you know could have to say I'm sorry for something and I've learned that along, you know, along the way that, you know, there are things worth apologizing for. So I'm not against apologizing for things. I also feel like, you know, with this cancel culture, I think the most important thing that everyone can do is to take stock of your action, apologize sincerely. And really, that's it. You know what I mean? And we have to accept that from people. Um, it's when people don't apologize or they're defensive or they're like, well, I did the, 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 it's like, no, no, shut the fuck up and say, you're sorry. That's all you have to do. Say you're sorry and mean it. And then, and then forgiveness can happen. But a lot of people seem to get canceled and can't seem to get that. You know what I mean? They don't seem to get it, that they have to take stock of what they did and how they're going to improve, you know? Obviously, like a lot for of the things- egregious stuff for the egregious stuff. But you you know, you're going to if you when you do that next big show coming up that you talked about, you're going to say things that some people are going to be offended by. You're going just by the nature of comedy, good comedy. I mean, isn't that what that's about? It's supposed to make you uncomfortable and think and look at some other side of it and be able to laugh at yourself. Is it OK anymore to once you go down that slippery slope of apologizing here and there and there and there for other than for the real stuff, I mean, it, it, there's no end. There's no end to apologize. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think we should talk about apologizing as a slippery slope because I think you apologize for things that are hurtful and things that have hurt other people. You know what I mean? You don't have to. That doesn't mean you have to say, I'm sorry, because I don't like children or I don't want a baby or I, you know, like, you don't. You know, it's not about it's not about innocuous things. You know, the apologies, they are about serious things. So 
like we shouldn't diminish that at all. But I think it is an opportunity, especially as a stand up comedian, which is how I started my career. It, you know, it's it's important to have these parameters and challenges, you know, to go, oh, I have to work. I can't do that. And I can't do that. And that's easy. And that's too easy. And now you have to get a little bit smarter. Why not? Like, you know, Cat Williams the other day had this great quote about like, he's like, sorry about everyone getting canceled, but do we miss any of these people that got canceled? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, who do I miss that's been canceled? Right. right. Like it was an interesting comment. But, but, but right. the thing is, but is there, is there anything that you've read as far as people being canceled or called out? Because it's one thing to be called out sort of by the actual person or people or group of people who, are at, who, who were offended by it. And then there are these sort of cancel culture warriors in the press or people who are just looking to annihilate, you know, um, do you differentiate between that? Is there anything that you've read or seen where you're like, well, okay, this is the pendulum has swung too far in this specific case. No, you know what, honestly, Ali, I feel like right now, you know, when people, yeah, I feel, you know, I don't think I don't look at it that way. I look at it in the way that people, you know, is your behavior hurtful to anyone else? That's all you have to look at. Did I hurt someone else with something that I said? And it doesn't matter if you think that that person, <laughs> whatever you think of that person, it's not about your, you know, intention. It really is about your reception. So I'm not going to say that the cancel culture is overboard. I know people are exhausted by it. I, I know we're all, but I think we're in the middle of something that's really important. And I think that there's going to be a medium, like, I think we're overcorrecting right now to get everybody up mm -hmm. to speed with what the fuck is acceptable and what the fuck isn't. And that way we can have a meeting of the minds a year later when everyone's not feeling like they're on such probation where we can have more honest, thoughtful and more mindful conversations about touchy subjects rather than yeah. the defensiveness is the stuff that just is like, it's so icky to see when people are so defensive about something that they've done or have been accused of doing. Because if you say to me, Ollie, right now, like you really hurt my feelings, I would never look at you and go, shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'd go, what, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. What did I do? And you could be like, you just did it two minutes ago. You didn't even realize yeah. it. I would take stock of that and go, oh, okay, fuck. So I'm sorry. Let me hear you out. And then, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's about that kind of decency, I think. And I think the the people that are having are having are resisting it the most are are white guys. The people that ask the stupid questions, like, can we still open the doors for you guys? It's like, uh, yeah, you've been raping us for fucking since the beginning of time. The least you could do is open a fucking door for us. Like those those conversations aren't helpful. To say, can we still do this? Right. Can we do that? You know what I mean? Like that's defensiveness. That's not like, oh, I see. I see what women have been dealing with since the beginning of time. I see the advantage that white people have had since the beginning of time. Even though I'm not a racist, mm -hmm. you're still benefiting from a system that has put somebody else in a subjugated position. Mm -hmm. So that's related to sexism. That's related to racism. You know, it's learning that all of us are doing together, which is, which is better than us not knowing about I it. Think, I think what you're time, saying you know? too is to be patient with the learning curve as well, to accept that there is a learning curve to all of this and just to be patient with it, you know? Um, but what about the inconsistencies of it? You know, I, I think about Stern who I'm, I love fucking Howard Stern, right? He never gets dinged. 
He will never get dinged because he has just created this persona from the very beginning. But if you go back and listen to Howard Stern, I mean, the amount of people and races and sexes that he has offended over the 35, 40-year career that he's had is completely crazy. But he just doesn't get dinged because he's, he's immune, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yeah, I guess some people, are, some people are immune to it. And I mean, I also don't find it helpful to be going back in time to people's things and saying, hey, what'd you do here? Or what'd you do this? You know, that's not, that's people do things. People make mistakes and they're assholes. And, you know, luckily my come to Jesus, my therapy, my evolution has been so public. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? I'm not pretending to be a different person. I've been talking about it for three years. Um, And I, and I'm not a different person. I'm just, I'm much, I'm much more thoughtful now. I'm much more kind and I'm, and I'm an adult. And so, and so is Howard. Howard's different now oh, than he God, was 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And you, you know, obviously, you know, cause you listen to him all the time, yeah. but talk about an evolution, you know, he's not like that. Mm-mm. So I think that's what we have to take into account, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of what I was asking or, or what I was thinking about when you were talking that, you know, there, there has to be some room for saying, yeah, I was dumb then. I, I've learned, I've grown since then, and now here I am now. And if I open the door for somebody and the answer is to that question, is it okay if I open the door for you because I don't want to somehow insult you? And the answer can't be, well, yeah, you've been raping us since the beginning. I, I can honestly say I've never raped anybody. I, no, I can honestly I, yeah, say right, that. Right, right. So it, it becomes, in, there. these are personal interactions that somehow all get swept into these massive generalities that... That, that doesn't apply to me. I've, I've not treated women in a way where I just feel like you're my subject. And I've, I've got two daughters. They're in their mid-20s. I, I feel like, you know, they're my best friends. I'm, I'm their biggest advocate. So, you know, to intention, I do think, I disagree with one thing you said. I, I think intention always has to be part of the equation, but it never seems to be. Like, you know, oh, that's how you took that. Well, that's not how I intended to say that. So I'm, I'm learning from that. But you're going to have to give me a break because you took it one way. That's not how I said it. That's not what I was thinking about when I made the comment. So you, there has to be some sort of leeway here. It just seems so all or nothing these days where people are just getting scrubbed out of history like they, they never existed. And that's fine unless that person's you, you know? Well, I think what, what you ha- what, something to consider is, you know, your intention, yes, is, val- is valid. The reception is 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 paramount to the intention because you don't know the person you're talking to, what that person has experienced, what that person has been through, what kind of racism or sexism that person has been subjected no to, which makes them more fragile or more sensitive or more uh, or more have have more trauma. So it's like yes, intention is valid, but I think you know what you might be missing is that. You can't account for everyone's experiences, so we have it's to. It's impossible. We of That's course, impossible. of course, it is. But we have to be gentle when we're given information that is, um, you know, that is like kind of opposite of our, what our intention was. Like if I say to you, "Hey, I, I, your hat is, you know, your hat looks stupid," and 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 you get really upset about that, it's like. Maybe that's not a good example because there's really no good intention in me telling you your hat looks stupid. But, you know, like 
you have to leave room in the middle for a conversation. So if I say something to you that you don't like and you don't like it, instead of me going, fuck, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. It's like, oh, why didn't you like, okay, let me just get a better understanding. Okay, sorry, I could see why you're upset. Yeah, no, no Chelsea, Chelsea, you said, you like said being the, a good person. You said the Let's perfect say, word. I, it's gentle. Yeah. It's just about being gentle with each other again. It's, it's about being gentle. Yeah, right, you're right, because you know? it's a great word because of the intention, I agree. I mean, there's been so many times in my family dynamic where Kate might have said something and it hurts me and she doesn't realize that that's happened. And then I tell her that, and it's not about it's not about anything other than that it affected me. And it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you, and I'm not going to get defensive about that because you're the one who received that as pain. So now let me be empathetic towards that, and let me understand why that might have made you feel that way. And that's where the gentle part comes in, where the intention is such. And then if you're told that it made that person feel a certain way, instead of being like, "Well, fuck you," this is what I meant. It's like, "Oh God, well, I'm I'm sorry I made you feel that way. Uh, I didn't mean to. Let's have a discussion or a conversation about it." You know? Yeah, it's like you know when you hear that phrase always in like therapy or not even in therapy, but from people like keep your own side of the street clean, right? For a long time, I'm like, what what does that mean? And it's like, that's what that means. That's what that means. That means you're allowing room for everyone's different personalities and different experiences to have an impact on you and to actually consider it and take it into consideration and not to just use my own experiences to explain the world. You know what I mean? Like, this is how it is. And that's bombastic and, and it just reeks of so much privilege and, and I, you know, and I don't know how the world is. I only know how my world is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. By the way, I'm wearing this hat cause that was, that upset me <laughs> because I've had my ninth hair transplant surgery <laughs> and I'm, I'm, oh, here I'm, we go. See, here, this I'm is a shielding your eyes. Perfect example. <laughs> I don't you want you to see the carnage. Trans- You're huh? getting your hair pl- transplant surgery. I'm making fun of your hat, and I don't right. know the backstory. <laughs> exactly. This is perfect. I'm glad I'm, I said something I, about your hat. I am sad now, and I'm going to go <laughs> suck my thumb for a little bit. So you guys just continue talking. Well, at least you're not bald. I mean, you've got that going well, for I you. Well, I would be. I yeah. would be. <laughs> but it is my own hair. That that's That's the thing that Oliver can't. He just will not accept that this is actually <laughs> my hair. This is not like hair from the dog um, or dog. somebody's pubic region. Yeah, this is this is this is my hair. Just look, we're know, all vain. There's to a better seating. You're all vain. We're all vain. You know, like you, you gotta. You know, you might as well. I, I say just let it go, man. Just go ball. Yeah, no, my head's too big. I'm vain. I, yes, you're right. We're all vain. I'm right there leading the charge. Narcissistic. Ego driven, vain person who just doesn't want to show speaking, up on TV with Hey, a bald speaking head. of that, Chelsea, like when you said you discovered empathy, I love that bit in, in Evolution on HBO Max, which everyone should go watch because it's really, it's not just comedy, it's, there's a lot more to it. But when you discovered that, you know, did you, would you classify yourself before that moment as a narcissist? No, I don't think a narcissist is a, what lacks empathy. I mean, I talked to Dan about this a lot because I was like, am I a narcissist? And he said, no, narcissists are not interested in hearing any like critique about themselves. Mm-hmm. So a narcissist, a good way to define them is someone who cannot hear anything bad about themselves. And I went to Dan for the purpose of the transaction. Like I'm, I was like, I'm paying you to tell me why I'm such a cunt. Mm-hmm. Tell me why I'm a cunt. Mm-hmm. Tell me what my problems are, why I don't have patience, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he pinpointed it. 
lack of empathy, I think, is, again, you know how all roads lead to the same thing. Um, lack of empathy, I think now after being out of therapy for two years, and I think maybe Dan explained this to me once, but it was a direct result of me not experiencing my brother dying, not going through the actual stages of grief in a regular articulate way because I didn't have the articulation for that at nine years old. Um, so you don't have empathy for yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have empathy for yourself and understand that you've suffered a huge loss. Cause I looked at my brother, you know, my brain wasn't developed enough yet. Right. You know, your, your brain isn't even connected at that age. So I looked at my brother dying as like, he betrayed me. He lied to me. He told me he was going on vacation and he said he was going to be back in a week and he lied to me. So he forgot about me and he was hiking and he forgot about me. So it, it may as well have been that he went down the street and found a better family and a cuter little sister and left me that way because that's how I digested his betrayal. Mm. I didn't think of it as an accident and he died. He left me. And so at nine, those are your thoughts. Mm -hmm. At 25, obviously, that's a different set of experience. You know, it's a, it mm -hmm. becomes a different experience. And you and so what you can understand intellectually doesn't always match up to what you can understand emotionally. Do you feel like you have more work to do with all that? Or do you think you're good? Well, I mean, for that incremental big burst, yeah, I think I'm good on that. I'm sure I have more work to do. You know, if I get into a relationship with someone, I'm sure there's going to be work with that. If I get into a relationship with someone who has kids, right. that's going to be work. You know, I'm, I'm never, you're not cooked. I'm not, I don't think of myself no. as fixed. No way. I, None of us are. No, it's a work in progress. And I don't ever want to be, you know, as impatient and as cunty as I used to be. I'm just not, that's not what I'm down for anymore. I'm too... I want to spread joy and love and be like, you know, and laughter. And, and that fun. rebellious nature, like when you were a kid and, you know, that relationship with your dad, did, did was there a, a reconciliation of sorts, you know? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I think he tried to slap me once across the face after I did something and I decided that was it. And I slapped him across the wow. face. I stopped his hand and I was like, you are not allowed to hit me. And it wasn't like he was beating yeah, yeah. me, you know, but in that time, at that time, it was fine for your parents to smack you here and there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you are not allowed. And he just looked at me and I remember him thinking, you know, he's like, you're not my daughter. I don't know who you are. You're, you're nuts. You're crazy. And I remember thinking, yeah, so that's exactly what I think of you. And then like, we, 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 I, I moved away when I was very young, I, 19 years old, I left for Los Angeles and I just had to be away from my parents for just like a year. And I loved them again. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, we all needed a time out <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of families, that's just what you need. You need to get away from your family in order to remember why you love them and why you need them and why you could fall asleep in your father's lap you know, or where you can't fall asleep in anyone's lap. You know, it's that kind of stuff that we take for granted and that we always have to remember. So, uh, and you know, that's why people go to college and then realize, oh my God, I love my family. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. Well, good for you. So there, would you say you're, and I know your mother passed away. Is your, is your father still alive? No, he died like a couple of years ago. I'm an oh. orphan now. I'm looking for you're, new parents. <laughs> <laughs> like little orphan Chelsea. Uh, Goldie and Kurt were good. I always act like yeah, I know it's true. People don't, 
Yeah, then they go to Greece and pull this kind of shit. And I'm like, you know, I was just texting with Kate. I'm like, listen, while you guys are cavorting around the fucking Mediterranean, I'm sitting here babysitting Oliver. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that comes with being part of the family. I mean, that's it. You know, you're a couple yeah. years older than Ollie. I. So I was just going to say, was I, I guess on the heels of what Oliver asked you, after you got away, then there was a newfound or a refound love for your family did you ever have that moment with your dad like an exhale moment like okay we're good now we're going to interact as adults we're 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 okay now did did you have that uh you know i mean there were a lot of moments of love after that like you know i became close with my father again i don't think we ever had that conversation that you're talking about like hey i'm really sorry you know, or my dad saying, I don't know what, how, why I handled Chet's death so badly or like that. No, we didn't, but we had to come together. Like, you know, when I became successful, I remember getting a lot of joy out of seeing my dad get joy from watching me, you know, Mm -hmm. like it made me so proud to make him proud. And for him to be like, that's my daughter. She'll say or do anything. Or that's my kid. She's mine. Like, he's actually a true narcissist. So he took my success as a reflection <laughs> of him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was good enough to take that. I mean, I was happy enough for for that because he was so proud of me. Mm. And I loved that. Yeah, wow, that's great. So you have no... I, I guess as we're, I, we're winding down. But yeah. I, I, I guess with, with the way you have evolved... Do you take criticism differently? I imagine back in the day, if somebody criticized you, you know, be it online or now we've got social media, so everybody's just X number of characters away from trying to just obliterate you on their Twitter feed. Do you take it more to heart now? Does it have, does it get inside the exterior more than it used to? I mean, only if it's from someone that I respect, you know, I mean, there's people, I'm a very divisive person. I have been my whole entire public life, so I'm not worried about people disliking me. That's part of the equation. But from people I respect, can I take criticism? I would hope to say yes. You know, I like to welcome that. And I've always, I, I tell people quite often, like, please feel free to tell me, you know, especially with friendships, you know, especially if I'm having an honest conversation with a friend about something they've done, that's hurtful to me. I'm always like, please, you know, I, I, I I don't take pleasure I take pleasure in having really upfront, honest conversations because I take pleasure in deep, meaningful relationships. But I that works both ways. So yes, I I can take that kind of criticism from people that 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 respect and love me and are coming from a good place. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I it's it's a it's a interesting line that you have to walk, and and you know you, you're you're finding your spot in a new world, and and I'm anxious to see where this goes from here for you, because, you know, like Oliver and I said before you get on, and we've said in shows past, you know, there are very few people that at least, I'm not saying maybe now, but that really don't, I I, I admire people who say what they feel, and if some don't like it, that's too bad. Like, I'm I'm a pleaser. I want everybody to love me. I want want to try to, and for you to kind of embrace that and, and, and really thrive in it, I have such a respect for that. I, I think that's so healthy and, and such a great way to live. I guess that's why I was asking those questions before, because I don't want you to lose that. I don't want you to – I feel like you're, you're somebody who has the ability to say how she feels. And most of the time, I would imagine all the time, it's coming from the right place. 
And so if people don't like it, then tough shit. I, I, not everybody's going to like it. No. And that life isn't really a popularity contest. I know in Hollywood, it does feel like that a lot of the time, you know, you're like, what list am I on? But you know, you're, you're on whatever list you decide you're on. And that's an important thing. You know, confidence is a, is a, is a big component to this, knowing what you're doing and knowing how to do it and believing in, in what, in what you're doing. And, and knowing that those negative, competitive, all of that stuff isn't worth ever saying out, you know what I mean? Ever operating on or acting on, you know, we can all do a little bit better about being a little bit more mindful of each other and, and of our, and of ourselves, right? Like I want to, I have a very strong moral code, Mm. you know, I don't fucking lie. Mm. I don't, I try not to, I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't, I don't have fake friendships. I don't do that. Mm. I just won't, I won't allow myself to operate on that level. Cause I feel like, you know, you can, you can have a great vibration, like in like a spiritual sense of like where your energy is, is, or you could be down there and that's, or you could be up here. So it's like, where do you want to be in your life? And what kind of like vibes do you want? Mm -hmm. Because just because energy isn't something that's so easily identifiable and measurable, you know, in scientific terms, you know, people like in layman's terms, it's not something it's, it is the most important thing that we all have going. It's like when you walk down the street, even if you're not talking to somebody, you've got energy about you. Is it good or is it negative? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, Chels, thank you. On that note, you guys, I'm just going to walk down to the Santa Monica Pier and walk right off of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there. I yeah, mean, good. It's it's just are you are you are you still taking a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals? Are you have you gotten to the more homeopathic stuff yet or no? The only pharmaceuticals I really take well, I take some anti aging pharmaceuticals. Let's be honest, and I also take uh, yeah once in a while I take a Xanax. Yeah. I love Xanax, but. I usually prefer an edible before I go to sleep. But if I really want to, like, you know, knock myself out mm-hmm. on a, like, for 10 or 12 hours, yeah, Xanax, I still have a I Xanax. Know. There's so much more to talk about the whole psilocybin experience, cannabis experience, MDMA, all of the great things that are happening in that, in that psychedelic space, which I'm following and I think is so important. But we'll get into that at another time. Um, I will do that when I come back, you guys. This has been a real pleasure. This has been fun. Thank yeah. you, babe. Um, Thank and you, then, Chelsea. So HBO Max Evolution, if you haven't checked it out, you got to check it out. When does the Oh, t- yeah, and also buy tickets if you guys want to come see me on tour. Vaccinated and horny. Tickets are on sale now. They just went up. Ticketmaster. Yes, this is what I was going to say. And then I cannot wait for this uh, TV show. I love this sort of sliding doors vibe yeah. to it. You know? Yeah, totally. You got shit going on. And by the way, if you need sort of an actor to come be in it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm for hire. I can do other things too, you know? Oh, oh, okay, great. Well, that's good to know. I always need to be reminded that you're available for acting. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm available please, for acting. Please give him a job. <laughs> please. Is there anybody in your life growing up that looked like Oliver or he could be? Could he play your dad? <laughs> Oliver's going to be just fine. He's going to get a job and he's going to be All right. just fine. Thank you, babe. All right. Well, thanks, Chelsea. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Nice All right. to meet you. Go. All right, yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind being a, I wouldn't mind having a Chelsea attitude. Feels good, you know what I mean? <laughs> you just don't care about what people think. Like, fuck it, I'm gonna do my shit. Barely. Well, had that's anxiety. why I was just a little barely had any freaked out when she talked about apologizing, not being afraid to apologize. I get it for the for the over the top mm-hmm. moments, but as a comedian, if if you're 
and I don't want to talk about it because she's not here. So no, no, no. Uh, I know, but, yeah, I but, know what you mean. But she did say, you know, digging up people's pasts. If you notice, she sort of said that that you know, she's like, well, that's a little, you know, just going into everyone's past and trying to yeah. Pick, by 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 the apart. very nature of the title of her show, evolution. Everybody's constantly evolving. Everybody's growing, learning. And to hold somebody accountable for some dumb thing they did or said in middle school, mm-hmm. and now it's you know this person is a successful forty-year-old. It, it just stupid. I mean that that's not the person. Unless unless that thing was like very egregious, you know what I mean? Of course, right? of course, you know. yeah. But if it's some innocuous yes. thing, I mean, it just gets to the point where everybody's got the knives out, and it's time to work. You're canceled because you and. People grow. People make mistakes. That's that's the virtue. That that that's just the nature of being walking on the planet. People make mistakes. Yeah, you no, should be and, able to grow and learn from them and get better. We can't just scrub people from history and throw them away. I I just don't feel like that's the answer. But um, yeah, you know. But no. But she did make know. a good point, and and it's funny because this is how I've operated within my relationships with my family and friends and everything. Like if I have hurt somebody unintentionally it's not about what i think honestly it's about how they received it how they took it and it's like oh my god that was not my intention but i I apologize for making you feel that way i would never want to do that you know what i mean it's more on me than it is on them you know so i i I can totally relate to that because that's sort of how i try to operate in my normal life well you know me i mean if i feel like i've hurt somebody's feelings i'm a mess oh yeah if if, you know I, i feel like most good people are though i i feel like at at heart it's why you and i are friends it's you know you have people around you that care about that kind of stuff that we're not talking about that yeah we're not talking if if i if i said something that upset somebody and it was a legitimate you know uh instance where i i I really offended i mean my god i'm i'm the first one to go oh what can i do that was not my intention who goes through life like that just assholes yeah so i don't know um well that was fun joe She's great. I've always been a fan. And and again, I think the biggest part of her career and her being that I'm a fan of is her ability to not care uh, what the reception is. And those are the great comics. Those are... You know, the, those are the people that that really make a difference and and make a name for themselves. So good for her. She's just confident and and just she is who she is. Yeah. And I that's what I've always loved. Oh yeah, about I can't her. wait. From I mean, distance. her career is just taking on all kinds of different iterations, moving in all kinds of different directions. And evolution is the perfect title for her her special. You know, because I think she's going to be your stepsister. Yeah, she'll be my stepsister. I, I mean, I can't wait to see where she is at sixty five years old. You know what I mean? Like she's just constantly doing cool new things that just that give her a boner she gets a boner and she fucking does it you know i love that about her i think that's just it's a beautiful trait i get a boner and i just play with it you know and that's it see that's offensive (laughs) will you please apologize to everybody right now i can I, i don't want the visual and i think you just upset half of our audience look it's my boner i can do whatever the fuck i want with it okay fair enough well, we'll cut that out because now I'm thinking of all the other people being like, oh, really? You're just going to put that boner wherever you want? Hmm? 
You can put it wherever you want. But that, okay, that's exactly <laughs> my point. Right. That's not at all what you're saying. No, not that at all. That was not that, your that, intention. That, that crossed right? my mind, you know, yeah. That's how intention comes into it every time. It's somebody's intention. You said that, not intending for somebody to take it like, oh, well, then that means you can just do whatever you want. You can put it wherever you <laughs> No, that's that. No. Right. That's not at all what you were saying. No. That's not the intention. No. You have to build in intention. That yeah. has to be part of the equation, or everybody would say, nobody would survive that test. No. Nobody would survive that, that, that critique, that line. The boner test. No way. Yeah. Huh? The, so you cut out. Boner what? The boner test. It's the boner test. It's the boner test. Um, and with that, all right. I bid you adieu. Bid you adieu. Okay. Goodbye. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. 